Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 13, which is for the director of music, a psalm of David. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, your word which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would now bless us as we reflect on this uh, revelation of who you are and who we are and how we are to live before you, that we might uh, grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves, and that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, honoring you more along the path of life, praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, if um, if your vision is sharp enough this morning that you can see my face, I extend my uh, sympathies to you and my deep apologies. Uh, I I don't know for sure, but I'm gathering that um, this is probably like uh, skin surgery 49 and skin surgery 50. Uh, 34 and 35 at my current dermatologist with whom I've been since 2000, so... um, they warned me that by the eye and on the forehead, I would get some swelling. And, uh, but trust me, I don't feel as bad as I look. And I don't look as bad as I did. So the fluid just keeps dropping. I woke up this morning and I thought, you know, you know how you have a tear in the corner of your eye? Well, I keep going to like wipe the tear away, but it doesn't go away. It's just this big bulge that's kind of hanging in there, but... Uh, you, you kind of get used to it, but not really. Well, what are, um, what are some of the feelings that you have had in the past week? Uh, even feelings today. My, my one son who's a paramedic is uh, on duty today, and I'm here and not there. And uh, Sunday's is a busy day to go out for Mother's Day. So we do Mother's Day usually on Saturday night. We just had a wonderful time. It was, uh, Adele was just totally surprised when she came from a little outing with my daughter. And, you know, there were presents on the table and a balloon and a, a, a cookie-like cake. She, she just didn't expect any of that. And we just had a wonderful, happy time. And uh, Mother's Day can just be such a, a happy time. But n- not for everybody. I mean... How many of us, like me, were driving down today reflecting on the fact that I can't call my mom and say Happy Mother's Day? Um, A year ago, she passed away. 
And uh, some of us haven't always had good experiences with moms. Some of us have. It, it can really be a, a mixed bag. And so even on a day like Mother's Day, for some of us, it's a real happy day. Some of us not. I, I don't know. Maybe there's somebody here who has always wanted to be a mom and can't be for one reason or another. There was a, a, a Facebook post by... A, I forget what her name is, but if I said the name, you'd recognize it. I don't know really anything about her. But the the post was, why I hate Mother's Day. And I didn't read it, but I have a friend who responded to it. And uh, she said, you know, I really don't, I really don't go this direction. And she said, I, I'm sick, because the, the point of the article was that Mother's Day can seem to say, if you're, if you're not married and you're not a mother, you're not as valuable as other women are. And she said, I'm single. And uh, not only do I not have kids, I can't have kids. I don't, I, she, she's a friend. I don't know the, all the reasons. But she said, even if I wanted to, I, I couldn't produce a child. And, uh, but she still had a very positive take. All I'm saying is that our emotions are kind of like a mixed bag um, from time to time. We feel frustration. We feel anger. We feel grief. We feel, we feel sorrow. And um, sometimes church isn't the place to express that. Uh, In the evangelical world as a whole, uh, worship is like a happy time. And that, that's the only thing that we're allowed to see. It's, it's kind of like a Pollyannish view of life where the only thing that can be expressed in worship is our happy thoughts and happy feelings because we all trust God, don't we? And since we all trust God, we're always happy all the time. And uh, I think you know that I'm a fairly positive person. By the way, if my record holds, um, this spring, this is like 10 years ago that I preached my first sermon Uh uh, down here, although it wasn't down here, it was over in the uh, environmental center. But I was just looking at some notes, and I think it was April of 2005. That's scary. Um, but you know, if you read the Psalms, the Psalms not only have happy songs, but they also have sad songs in them, laments. Uh, but the one thing about the laments is even the laments typically end on a happy note. There are two exceptions, 88 and 44, but those are the exceptions that prove the rule. So we want to look at this idea of honest lamenting this morning. I was listening to, I I, I didn't listen to music coming down this morning as I normally do, except when I got just past Palm Bay, I was thinking about my mother and uh, there's this um, kind of bluesy artist named Mike Ferris. I don't think he's very well known, but um, somebody recommended him, and I, I put a couple songs on my iPod, and I said, you know, he does a great rendition of Will the Circle Be Unbroken? And it starts kind of very sad, and he's talking to the undertaker, please drive slow for that lady you are hauling, I hate to see her go. And uh, starts kind of very melancholic. But then they go into the part where they have instrumentals. And at first it's the B3 organ. And then it's the piano. And then it's the saxophone. And by the time the brass comes in, I mean, they're really rocking. There's a, there's such a beautiful, there's such a beautiful movement in that psalm from this kind of lamenting to just joyous praise at the destiny at the hope 
that the circle won't be broken and there is a better place by and by. That kind of movement, you see, that's the same movement that we get in the laments. And so we're going to look at Psalm 13, which is the best example of a lament that just shows us how to honestly express what we could call these dark emotions. You know, John Calvin called the book of Psalms an anatomy of every part of the human soul. He said there's not a, there's not a feeling that you can have as a human being that doesn't come to expression in the book of Psalms. And that the, the Holy Spirit has given us the Psalms uh, so that we can find in their models for 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 handling these dark emotions uh, when we experience them, so that by God's grace, these dark emotions slowly get transformed uh, into joy and rejoicing. So, as we've read this psalm, you might have noticed that after verse 2 and after verse 4, there was extra white space in your translation. And that's because this psalm naturally breaks into three paragraphs, so to speak. So we're going to look at each one of them because they t- each one of these takes us on another step in honest lamentation in processing these dark emotions that we have. And here's the first step as I would articulate it in verses 1 and 2. And that is simply, say how you feel. Learn to say how you feel. Listen to uh, the psalmist. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? David starts by saying how he feels. And your feelings actually go in three different directions because you have three different kinds of relationships. Your feelings go upward because you have a relationship with God. Your feelings go inward because you have a relationship with self. And your feelings go outward because you have a relationship with other people. Uh, That's why when Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, he said, love God and love neighbor As you love self, he's capturing love in all three of those directions simultaneously. And that's what the psalmist does. You'll notice that as he begins, he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face? He has feelings toward God. Then he says, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? He has feelings with regard to self. And then he says, How long will my enemy, my enemy triumph over me? He has feelings with regard to others. Now we could call this theology, psychology, sociology. The Bible doesn't use those terms, but our disciplines recognize that we have relationships that go in these three directions. What are some of the things that that David felt? They're things that we feel. He felt abandoned. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He felt like God had turned his back on him. Have you ever felt that? Uh, But Often what we do is when we start to feel that, we brush it under the carpet because good Christians know I will never leave you or forsake you, right? 
Bible says that in many places. So good Christians don't ever feel like God has abandoned them, right? Wrong. But that's the way we tend to think. So we don't want to, we don't want to embrace these feelings. But David did. And he did in prayer. And God said, hey, I like that prayer. In fact, I'm going to put it in the Bible so other people will learn to pray that way. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? So he, he feels abandoned. He feels sad. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Well, even wrestling with the thoughts, you know, he feels perplexed. He, he can't figure all of this stuff out. What kind of thoughts? And have sorrow in my heart all day long. So he has thoughts, he's perplexed, he's very sad, he feels abandoned, he feels perplexed, he feels sad, he feels frustrated. How long will my enemy triumph over me? See, in in Psalm 2, David was being crowned king and he heard God say to him, "Uh, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. That means when you go to battle, you win, they lose. But what was David experiencing? He's going to battle. They're winning. He's losing. How long will my enemy triumph over me? My goal is to win. I'm not reaching my goal. When we have a goal and we're not reaching it, we feel frustrated. So this is just in a couple of verses in one psalm. We see David um, expressing all these different dark emotions. Uh, And one thing that the Holy Spirit is doing here, he's not kind of limiting our emotions to these couple that are mentioned. He's giving us the freedom to be human beings. He's giving us the freedom to feel. He's giving us the freedom to bring those feelings to expression. Say how you feel. That's what David is doing. And the Holy Spirit, through David's example, is giving us an example of how to process these dark emotions when we feel them. Stuffing them doesn't work. Uh, Take a look at Psalm 39. Perhaps you know this one. Psalm 39. We'll just look at the very beginning of it. In Psalm 39, again, David said, I said I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will, we would say zip it. David says I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good or evil. Uh, David said, okay, I'm going to stuff it. I have all these feelings inside here in particular with regard to others. But I'm not going to say anything. Well, how, did, how, how well did that work? Notice he goes on to say, But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. This text always reminds me of growing up with my mother. Uh, and growing up with that thing that some of you, many of you will remember. We don't use them much anymore. I don't know if anybody even uses them anymore. Remember that thing called the pressure cooker. <laughs> Who still has one? Who still uses it? It's still in use. Uh, my mother used to, this was after, for those of you who don't know a pressure cooker, it's an old school microwave. 
It was a way of doing things faster, right? I mean, when I was really young and my mother, who was Polish, made wonderful Italian spaghetti sauce. But, you know, she made everything from scratch in the morning and it would just cook and simmer. Uh, but as but later on, my mother went to work for my father and uh, she couldn't cook. So she got this microwave called a pressure cooker because it's going to do everything a lot faster. Can you hear the jiggle? Of that little thing jiggling on the top. Can you picture what happens if you pull that little jiggler off and it's full of spaghetti sauce? It's, that's what happens to us, right? Okay, it, it, it doesn't, you don't do this, but other people have done it to you. There's all this feeling inside, right? Not saying anything, not bringing it to expression. You happen to be the wrong person at the wrong place at the wrong time. And you just make one small comment. (coughs) And it's like taking that little cap off the pressure cooker. Boom. You get the whole shotgun. And you say, what did I? Wow. What did I say? Well, you're just that proverbial uh, straw that broke the camel's back. All this stuff has been churning and cooking inside. And that's what David said. He said, I tried to keep it all in, but then eventually the lid comes off and it just makes a mess. That stuffing how we feel is not the way to process these dark emotions, but expressing them, uh, saying, uh, articulating them, uh, saying them, expressing them in words, um, expressing them to yourself. Sometimes it's hard just to be honest with ourselves and just say, I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel sad. Because uh, we do get this subtext that good Christians don't have these kinds of feelings. And it, it starts just by believing the scriptures and believing the Holy Spirit that God's shoulders are big enough to take it. You can express these things to yourself and you can express them to God in prayer. Now, sometimes... And this takes wisdom. Sometimes it's also good to express them to other people. But not always. Because you've probably also had that experience where you've just decided that the best thing to do is to tell this other person how you're feeling. And that ended up being the worst possible thing you could have ever done. Right? You see, the Proverbs say, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. The Proverbs also say, don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be just like him. So what do you do? That takes wisdom. You can always tell yourself how you feel. You can always tell God how you feel. And sometimes it's good and proper to tell other people But not always. And there's just no algebraic formula for figuring that one out. If there were, I probably wouldn't understand it anyhow. uh, My my daughter Annie's going on a little trip by herself up to the panhandle tomorrow, so we were getting her car taken care of, and there was a discount, and and I said to Annie, it's not one that we use, but there was a Mother's Day discount for getting a detail on your car. And normally $149, now $119. I said, Annie, that's a pretty good discount. And she said, yeah, that's 20% off. I said, how'd you do that? And so she explained to me two different ways that you can do that. And I said, oh, you know how I do that? 
I got an app on my phone that's a percent calculator. See, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know the formulas for it. I just plug in. Okay, cost one hundred and forty nine. Now one nineteen. Calculate twenty percent off. Um, and she she has that wisdom. I, I I don't have that wisdom, but that's kind of what we, there's. In other words, there's no algebraic equation for knowing how you deal with these negative things in relationship to your dialogue with other people. But you do have the Word of God to guide you. You do have the Spirit of God to guide you. You do hopefully have other friends to share your feelings with who can also help guide you. But the bottom line is, the first thing that the Holy Spirit teaches us here uh, is to say how we feel. And that stuffing our emotions and pretending they are not there is just setting ourselves up for a mess uh, in one way or another. That's verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 4, ask for what you want. Notice what David does, starting in, in, uh, got to go back to Psalm 13, starting in verse 3, notice the request that he makes. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemies will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. In these two verses, David is asking for what he wants. These are the place in his prayer where he is making petition to God. Uh, To ask for what we want presumes that we think it's okay to want something. And that's another sub-message that we often get in the evangelical world. Not only do good Christians not have negative feelings, but good Christians don't want anything. After all, doesn't the psalm say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not Now, in our new translations, we know that that means I won't lack. It's want in that old way. But we can find other texts, like Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. That's a good Christian. Somebody who desires absolutely nothing but God, which is absolutely impossible. And it's counter the way God has made us. It's some kind of Gnostic over spiritualized anti-creation view of the world. We've confessed today that we believe not only that Jesus is coming again, but that we're going to be raised from the dead and our bodies are going to be reunited to the soul. If the doctrine of the resurrection teaches us anything, it teaches us that the creation that God has made is good, 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 very good, so good that God's not going to let it go. He's going to redo it. We have a very creation-affirming faith as Christians And God has wired us to have desires. The desire for food, the desire for sex. Both of those can be abused, yes or yes. But the desires in and of themselves aren't evil. They can't be because God made them. They came from God. Wanting things is okay. Now we can want the wrong things. We can want the right things for the wrong reasons. 
But none of that means that desire in and of itself is an evil thing. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that doesn't mean he'll give you what to desire. It means he'll give you what you desire. And if God's going to honor your desires by giving you your desires, they must be good things. Of course, hopefully we're maturing under the influence of the word and the spirit so that our desires are being more and more shaped by God's desires for us. Uh, But we're in process. And so what do you want? Sometimes your emotions can be a good indicator of that. If you learn to listen to how you feel, you can often gain insight into what it is that you want. And once you know what you want in a situation, you can ask specifically. Notice, remember those three relationships? God, self, others? Go back to the psalm and notice what the psalmist does. First, he asks with regard to God. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. He's, he's saying, I feel abandoned. Would you turn around and look at me? I feel like you've hidden your face from me. Would you, as we looked at in the ironic benediction, make your face shine on me? So his first negative feeling was, was abandonment by God. And his first request is... God, would you fix that? Would you pay attention to me? His next feeling was with regard to self, and so he goes on to say, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. He's asking not only with regard to God, but he's asking with regard to self as well. And this idea of give light to my eyes, he's not asking for some kind of mystical experience. Remember Jonathan when Saul put all the Israelite armed forces under an oath saying nobody's allowed to eat until we've completely wiped out the Philistines? And everybody but Jonathan heard that and Jonathan was getting a little tired and he came past a honeycomb and he dipped his staff in and he ate some of the honey and the text says his eyes brightened. Well, he didn't have a mystical experience. His blood sugar went back up, right? His blood sugar was low. He ate the honey and his eyes brightened. And um, I probably don't look all that healthy this morning and you can see it in my eyes. And if you've had kids, you know when they're not feeling well, you can see it in their eyes. And you know that when they're getting better, you can see it in their eyes. The eyes are a window to what's going on. And so when David says, give light to my eyes... He's not asking for some spiritual experience. He's asking that God would renew his body just like the body of Jonathan was renewed when he ate the honey because he goes on to say, or I will sleep in death. And then he also asks with regard to others, and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. He feels with regard to God. He feels with regard to self. He feels with regard to others. And that guides him in asking for what he wants with regard to God, with regard to self, and with regard to others. Don't you love the symmetry? 
It's just beautiful the way God has shaped this poem to give us insight into how to process, how to lament, how to process those dark emotions. Verses one and two, say how you feel. And on the basis of that, then verses three and four, ask for what you want. And then we come to those last two verses. Trust God for the results. Have I ever told you Bobby's story? Bobby's a good friend of mine. We, we grew up together. And um, uh, odd. Bobby went to church with us as, as a young grade schooler because his parents didn't attend church much. And then that kind of fell by the wayside. And Bobby and I both were kind of long-haired hippies back in the end of the um, 60s and the beginning of the 70s. And we were both converted about the same time. We both ended up uh, being PhDs. We both ended up in higher education. We both ended up being Presbyterian ministers. Could go figure that one out. Nobody would have ever guessed that when we were in high school. But when we were young, we played baseball. Bobby played for um, Legion, the American Legion team. They were always really good. I played for Shopper's World. (laughs) Just the name tells you how good we were, right? But we were owned by Mr. Gubitz, who owned Shopper's World. And the benefit was, you know, after Little League games, you'd get these treats. The treats, when we lost were better than any of the treats the other kids got, even when they were one. So there's a benefit to being on Shopper's World. But when you get to be 12, Bobby and I both, you know, reached that acme of success. We made the All-Star team. Best part of being in the All-Stars is that you would travel to other cities to play their All-Star teams. And the best part of that was going to Elwood City, Pennsylvania. Anybody know Elwood City out there? We know Elwood City. The best part of Elwood City was they had lights on the field. You're a 12-year-old. You're playing at night. You're playing under the lights. It's the last game. And uh, we're up by one. All we need is one more out. The winning run is on the base. I'm on second base. Bobby's in right field. He's an excellent ball player. There's a high fly hit out into right field. Bobby knows there are only three things you need to do. You need to keep your eye on the ball. You need to put your glove under the ball. You need to squeeze the mitt. This ball was high. Bobby kept his eye on the ball. He put his glove under the mitt, uh, the mitt under the ball. It came down. He didn't squeeze. It bounced out. We lost. He's still in therapy. (laughs) Now, why do I tell you that story? Because keeping your eye on the ball is like saying how you feel. Putting your mitt under the ball is like asking for what you want. But neither of, not, neither of those things do any good if you don't squeeze the mitt. That's the third thing. You've got to trust God for the results. You've got to say how you feel. You've got to ask for what you want. But then you've got to trust God for your results, verses 5 and 6. Notice the emphasis on your faith. But I, I trust My heart shall rejoice. I will sing. There are all these affirmations, these resolutions that David is making. He's exercising great faith in God at this point. For God to work it out the best way. He always does. It's not always our way. 
But he always works it out the best way and that takes faith. But how can you have faith in God when the darkness is so overwhelming at times? That's because of what else is revealed at the end and that is the character of God. But I trust in your unfailing love, your covenant loyalty. Uh, That old hymn, O love that will not let me go. That's God's love for you, not your love. Our love for God is often like a roller coaster, but God's love for us is so rock solid because he doesn't love us because of how well we do. He loves us in spite of ourselves. He loves us because of how well Christ has done for us. And how well is that? That's called perfection, folks. Christ has perfectly kept the law of God for you. And he's died to pay the penalty for all of your sins. And that's where you're secure in the love of God. God's unfailing love. So that Paul says in Romans 8, 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's unfailing love. Not only his unfailing love, also his generosity. Do you see the end of that line? For he has been good to me. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go into uh, a detailed explanation of the Hebrew grammar, although, trust me, that would be very, very fun. But I am convinced that we ought to translate this because God will be bountiful toward me. It's really a future. And the NASB, New American Standard Bible, uses the word bounty, which captures the Hebrew so well. God, This is God's generosity. We, we know that he's a generous father. He's not a stingy father. He loves to give good gifts to his children. Uh, and as Paul says in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's, to, to, that's kind of a long sentence. Here's what Paul is saying. God's already given you his very best in giving you his son. Do you think he would now fail to give you any of the lesser stuff that you need? Any of the lesser stuff that you want? Impossible because of the generosity of God. Squeezed, shaken over, running over. My cup runneth over, says the psalmist. Why? Because of the generosity of God. See, that's squeezing the mitt. Say how you feel. Ask God for what you want. And then you got to squeeze the mitt. you got to trust God, believing that because he loves you and that because he's generous, he is always and only going to do that which is the very, very best for you. And that's why mourning turns to dancing. And that's why sackcloth turns to joy. And that's why Mike Ferris started out so melancholy by talking to the undertaker. And by the end of the song, they're rocking with hope. They're rocking with hope because they understand their destiny in Christ. Well, let's conclude just by saying that you can sing the laments in the darkest hour with reckless abandon because Christ has already sung them for you. Uh, Didn't Jesus on the cross say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, those were originally David's words. And David felt forsaken, but he wasn't. Jesus felt forsaken, and he was. I hope it's encouraging to know 
that no matter how deep you go into the dark valley, there is always somebody who's gone further down than you ever have or ever will. Because Jesus has gone all the way down into the darkness of hell, you never have to descend to the bottom of the pit. If you feel like you're there, say it. But by God's grace, believe that there's somebody who's gone deeper for you so that underneath you are always those everlasting arms to catch you and to bear you back up. But Jesus not only sang 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He also sang 22.22, in the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praise. But there's something that happened in between his singing of 22.1 and 22.22. It's called the resurrection. You see, because Jesus was raised from the dead, he moved from my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to praise the Lord. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, you can move from how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You can move from there to my heart will rejoice in the Lord. I will sing to the Lord because I know he's going to be good to me. I know it. How do I know it? He's proven it. He raised Jesus from the dead. And I have been mystically united to Christ. And when Jesus came out of that tomb, so did I. That secures my destiny. And this is what we have the privilege of celebrating in the Lord's Supper. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember everything that Christ has done for us. And we also remember our destiny. The Supper tells us of Jesus' own experience. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Supper points us to the fact that death did not get the last word. Adele and I were talking last night. There's a a, a, a best friend of my son, uh, Mark Jr. They just had a new baby. And after she got pregnant with their first... They found out that he had some form of terminal cancer, and we got notification that they took him off life support yesterday. He'll probably die on Mother's Day. And we were just talking about how death just seems to always get the last word, right? I mean, you read about these near-death experiences where people have died and gone to heaven and they've come back. Guess what happens to them? They die again. It just seems that death is the great leveler and it gets the last word. Um, Unless we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And death does not get the last word. The circle will not be broken. It will remain unbroken by and by. There is a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would take this word from the book of Psalms, from David, and we pray that you would write it on our hearts, that we might learn more and more to say how we feel, to ask for what we want, and to trust you for the results, knowing that those results have to be good, uh, if not in the short run, in the long run, because you are a God of unfailing love and of generosity that is incomprehensible to us. We bless you that all of this is certainly the case for us, because by your grace we've been united to Christ, who not only lived for us and died for us, 
but who was raised for us and ascended to your right hand for us and is praying for us and is coming again for us. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's respond by uh, standing and singing together uh, from the supplemental hymnal number six. Be seated, please. Luke reminds us in chapter 22 that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this bread and this cup that we will eat and drink, and we give thanks for them. We bless you because they are gifts to us, and we pray that you would use these ordinary elements in an extraordinary way 
to strengthen us in our faith that we might serve you well in the week that lies ahead, that we might enjoy the calling that you have given to us, that we might honor you along the path, praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and gave thanks, as we have done in his name. And he passed it out to his disciples and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. David said, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, and that's a good example. But after all, David was still a sinful human, as we read, in sin my mother conceived me. Certainly the best Christian, Jesus, would never have said that. And then we reflect on Jesus' words on the cross, Psalm 22, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus said how he felt. 
And he felt abandoned by the father. And in that articulation of how Jesus felt, he does at least two things. He, he validates your feelings when you feel that way. And if he said it, you can also. But he not only validates your feelings when you feel that way and when you feel other dark emotions, but remember, he experienced all of that in a deeper way. He experienced the real abandonment by God so that you never will have to. And so as you eat this bread, just remember that kind of tension. If you feel it, you feel it, say it. It's okay. And, and work through that somehow so that by faith you know that even though you feel it, you know the truth of God's promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Feast in your hearts by faith. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and gave thanks as we have done in his name. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink all of it. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins.
You know, Jesus not only said how he felt, he also asked for what he wanted. In anticipation of this cup, in deep lamentation in the garden, he said, Father, I I know plan A, but if there's a B, give me B. The language of the Bible is, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me. He had deep feelings with regard to the cross. And he said, Father, I'm asking for what I want. And what I want is for you to let this cup pass from me. But then what did he do? He squeezed the mitt. He said, nevertheless... Not my will, but your will be done. He trusted the Father. And Hebrews tells us that the one who he trusted, the one who was able to save him from death. God didn't save him from death in the short run. But he did save him from death in the long run. And in saving him from death in the long run, he guarantees what your long run is going to look like. This is the blood of Christ that has been shed for you. Feast in your hearts by faith. Blessed are you, you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine, the one who brings forth grain from the ground, the Redeemer of the elect. Through our worship of you, our praying, our confessing, our singing, our listening to your word, our eating of the bread and the cup, strengthen us in our faith that we might serve you well, bringing honor to you as we enjoy the calling that you have given to us. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's respond by standing and singing from Trinity Hymn number 263. Did you see me read that cue card over there?
Well, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might grow in your ability to say how you feel and to ask for what you want and to squeeze the mitt by trusting God for the results. Lift up your hearts and receive the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.